Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's Thursday. That means week two is here with an excellent matchup tonight in Kansas City, but we're only picking that game. We are previewing all things Dolphins and Ravens this Sunday at 1 o'clock in Baltimore with sunny skies and 85-degree weather on tap. We'll go position by position. After introducing you to the Baltimore Ravens, we'll measure what's at stake and give you the three keys to the game. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. It's game preview time as we do each Thursday. We start with an introduction to the opposition, the Baltimore Ravens, a team that has long been, well, a thorn in the side of the good guys here, until last year anyway. But still, Miami has not won a game in Baltimore since 1997, and in fact, that's the only victory for the Aqua and Orange against the Purple People Eaters. Wrong city, wrong team, I know. That was the Vikings back in the 70s. But I digress. Would be nice to buck that trend this Sunday, wouldn't it? Get to 2-0 heading into the Buffalo game. The Ravens have been one of the steadiest organizations in the league, really going back to their inception. Every organization will go through some valleys, even the best ones. But under John Harbaugh, they were able to pull out of one of those valleys at the end of the Joe Flacco era as they were kind of transitioning mid-season back in 2018 to the offense and team that they became that they are today, I should say. And what happened in 2018, you might ask? Well, that quarterback arrived, Lamar Jackson. He would go on to win the MVP the following year in 2019 and then followed that up with another crazy good year in 2020. Then last year was his highest interception rate of his career and the second lowest touchdown rate since that rookie season, or I guess the rookie season was the lowest, that last year was the second lowest. But even with that, he was still 7-5 and five as the starter last year and was kind of the final piece of glue holding that team together when they were just, like, I can't remember a team that had worse injury luck than the 21 Ravens. And the reason Lamar is such a big part of this prelude is that they are a team that has done a great job of assembling an offense, and a team for that matter, around their star quarterback. A lot of what they do operates off the running game. We heard Coach McDaniel say that he has learned a lot about designing run game by watching this Ravens team. And the roster construction really adheres to what they do well. We know that wide receivers are super expensive, right? But since this offense operates out of more two-back and two-tight sets than just about any in the league, they are able to allocate resources throughout the rest of the roster and kind of skimp at that position. Their top two guys, Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay, are both on rookie deals. One a first-rounder, one a third-round draft pick. They just know who they are. They build through the trenches. They draft well seemingly every year. I mean, how often do you see a draft go by and they're like, what a Ravens pick that was? 
Well, it happened again this year, too. They get ball hawks on the back end with a deep, deep cornerback room. They find pass rush and dial up pressure, and they run the ball extremely well and hit teams with play action off of that. They are aggressive. They are one of the most engaged teams when it comes to the analytics and fourth down models. They are always sharp on special teams, and they have the greatest kicker of all time. They're a tough out, a model of consistency, and one of those teams you kind of aspire to emulate in terms of their consistent success. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into the matchup, starting with the Dolphins on offense and the Ravens on defense and the quarterback for the Dolphins and the safeties of the Baltimore Ravens. To a tongue of Iloa, the Ravens had three safeties playing at least 42 snaps in their season open opening victory over the Jets. Marcus Williams, a newcomer from New Orleans, and Chuck Clark both did not leave the field. 84 snaps for both of those guys. Kyle Hamilton, their first first-round draft pick, was the other one with 42. They were in dime personnel, which is six defensive backs, on 46.8% of their snaps. That's by far the most in the NFL so far. And in nickel defense with five defensive backs, 36.7% of the time, Look, I'm not a mathematician, as you all well know, but carry the one, that's 83.5%. I obviously did that beforehand. And just 16.5% in a base look, right? 3-4 alignment. And that was with the Jets running 27.3% of their plays from packages with at least three receivers. So what that tells you is there is a bit of a not matching personnel type of philosophy in that game plan last week. Will it happen this week? We'll find out. And the reason I tell you this is because Chuck Clark has plenty of linebacker to his game. Kyle Hamilton can do a little bit of everything, at least he did at college. We'll find out more about him as a pro. And then Marcus Williams is one of the best post safeties in the National Football League. The Jets tried just one pass beyond 20 yards in that week one game, and it was a completion in a game of just 24 yards. So you know, almost nothing, you know, beyond the safeties in the passing game. A lot of that has to do with the structure of this Ravens defense. Baltimore was in too high for 60% of the game, single high 36% of the game, and they dialed up two zero looks, uh, you know, no safeties up top. So you'll see rotation. You'll see them attempt to confuse Tua with bringing that extra hat down in the box by wheeling out and rotating into some of their cover three, cover six type of looks as well. And uh, also get that extra hat in the box from those nickel packages because traditionally, if a defense is in nickel and you have even 11 personnel or especially 12 personnel, that's a good opportunity to run the football. It's not far off from what the Pats do and really what the Bills do next week as well. So he's getting a look at three of the best safety rooms in terms of letting those guys be so integral to the rotation post-snap with the pre-snap disguise with those safety rooms that are three deep for both of those, for all three of those clubs, I should say, especially Buffalo with Hoyer and Hyde. As for the matchup here, though, being timely, being efficient, and again, just taking what's there. It's not sexy, but it definitely is effective. Joe Flacco was able to pick up 137 yards on passes under 10 yards. He was 22 for 27 and 107 yards on those intermediate throws in the 10 to 19 yard range. He was seven for 15 on those throws against Baltimore. We'll see if they blitz a lot. Just 17 on Flacco last week out of 62 dropbacks. My goodness. But I don't think the keys have really changed all that much for Tua. 
Get into good run looks. If you got it, take advantage of your box count. Take what the defense gives you and find that check down when it's there. Be efficient to open up opportunities and take those shots when you got them. A lot of the Ravens' pressure comes from the perimeter. And I think that's where Tua is best at navigating the pocket when it's that interior pressure and you kind of have to quickly sidestep. I think having that longer runway for Tua to kind of wheel out of there or step up and out that way making plays, he's pretty good at making guys miss and extending from that position. So hopefully the Dolphins can find a way to block up the Ravens' strength and that edge rush. We'll get to more of that here in just a moment. Now, as far as the perimeter skill set or the perimeter matchups, I should say, Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus the Ravens corners. More on the Ravens defense. The structure, again, was minimal personnel matching. You'd see dime defense, which again, six defensive backs, which limits you to five in the front between your D-line and linebackers, versus plenty of two back or even two tight sets against this Jets offense, and especially on third and long. They will go dime on third and long regardless of your personnel because you'd likely remove the option to run the football, you know, anything longer than third and five, except for in, you know, a few exceptions. But the two high or three high looks where Chuck Clark would buzz, which means basically come down and take the crosser or try to find a stick route over the middle, get to that curl flat area, and then they would rotate into that two high and rob that crossing route. We know how much this offense goes to the crossing route. So you saw it last week with the Patriots, that kind of backside cornerback falling out. This Ravens defense will use that safety, that big nickel to come in there and buzz those crossing routes. And when they didn't rotate and they rushed Chuck Clark, there were some vacancies in the middle of the field, which is an area that we know Tua shines at. So they're a defense that will make you pay for tips and overthrows. If you go watch a video that I retweeted today of Dan Orlovsky breaking down the... Uh, the uh, 42-yard touchdown pass to Waddle last Sunday, he talks about them playing 11 funnel, which is uh, a nickel personnel, and they're going to play outside leverage to kind of funnel things inside to the help. That's what this Ravens defense does a whole bunch. They play that outside leverage, and they want to force you inside because they love what Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton can do. And especially if you get those tips and overthrows, they are exceptional at pouncing on those to get takeaways. And they kind of marriage up with that pass rush up front to create some takeaways, at least when they're healthy. Last year was kind of an off year for them because so many guys were hurt, but they got back to it on Sunday against the Joe Flacco Jets. Both those guys are exceptional ball hawks, and we have to be sharp with these balls and not give them those takeaways in short fields. Now, no Kyle Fuller. He's out for the season. We'll see about Marcus Peters. He practiced on Wednesday. We'll find out about uh, today and tomorrow as far as his availability. But even still, Marlon Humphrey is out there, and he's one of the best in the entire game. They are just absolutely loaded at cornerback when they're fully healthy. Then you go into the depth, and Brandon Stevens could be a potential fill-in option. And he played very admirably in that season opener, targeted eight times for just three catches and 27 yards. That's a great number for him. He did get hit with a TD, which was like 25 of those yards, but it was an absolutely perfect throw over the top uh, when Devin DuVernay stacked him for like a 20-something yard touchdown pass. I didn't see the exact yardage on that uh, watching the game, but it was in the 20 to 30 range. And you guys know I like to look at the tell of the tape in terms of styles. We know Tyreek and Jalen are quick and fast and all the superlatives that you use to describe speed. Well, Brandon Stevens was a 9-2 RAS guy, relative athletic scorecard out of 10 among cornerbacks. But the areas he didn't grade in the elite green area was the three cone. 6-9-9 is slightly above average. 
10 split of 1-6-2 is well below average among cornerbacks that have worked out since the late 80s in Indianapolis. And the shuttle time of 4-2-9 is slightly below average. So it could be a quick game matchup there for the Dolphins if he does draw either of those two jitterbug receivers. Marlon Humphrey is a 9-5-4 RAS guy with an elite three-cone number. Actually, all of his metrics were elite when he tested, and that's how he plays, one of the very best. He's, he's a dang good cornerback. And if you're without Marcus Peters, you could see Humphrey kind of getting that Xavier Howard treatment. Like, we're not going to go towards that guy when there's other options out there. Again, Marcus Peters is questionable last week and did not play. He practiced on Wednesday. You could get him back, but his shiftiness metrics didn't test well either. And so coming off that injury, you know, significantly below average 7.083 cone time, then an average shuttle and below average 10-yard split. And again, that's coming off the ACL that kept him out on Sunday Really curious to see if he plays and what he looks like if he plays. He is a ball hawk to the nth degree, but he, you know, that shiftiness against these guys, you could see how that could be exploited potentially. Maybe. We'll see. The Jets' tight ends didn't get much of anything. Just four for 14 uh, receptions and yardage. All of that to Tyler Conklin on seven targets, so just two yards per target. That's about as efficient as you can defend it for a defense. They did get Humphrey and Stevens on Conklin a couple times, but it's largely the safety and linebacker position. So Mike Kosicki, Durham Smythe, uh, the entire tight end room here. Could you draw potential linebackers who we'll talk about in a second, really like to kind of go downhill in this defense? The Jets also kept a lot of max protect slash tight ends in and pass protection because that Ravens 3-4 front that often looks like a five-man rush with two stand-up backers and requires some help off those edges. You know, tight ends have to be a big part of that and your backs. And more on those guys off the edges right now. This is such an interesting matchup because on one side, one of the more athletic offensive lines in football, and we'll see about Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson's availability. Uh, They did not practice on Wednesday. On the other, one of the bigger slash stronger defensive lines in the NFL. Styles make fights, and I cannot wait to see how this one plays out. Justin Matabuki was a second-round draft pick a couple years back. He had a monster game on Sunday. He's a sealer type in that he's huge, athletic, explosive, and can play multiple spots. He could be a big key in the run game in terms of getting around his edge. And then he and Justin Houston were the guys that popped last week. Houston had a couple of sacks in the game where he took advantage of getting his one-on-one opportunities. Also had six pressures on 44 pass rush reps. Him versus Teron Armstead, if Teron can play in the game, is a premier type of matchup and one that I think benefits Miami for the fact that Houston almost always rushes that side. And frankly, I'm taking T-Set against anybody in the league. And when you can get him one-on-one and maybe slide some help the other way to Odafe Owe, that could be a big benefit for the Dolphins' offensive line. Speaking of Owe... Another one of these big, explosive, lengthy ends with a good pass rush arsenal. He had 50 pass rush reps and five pressures, so a big part of their pass rush game plan. We'll see who goes at right tackle for Miami. Greg Little is an interesting matchup because of his length, 35 and a half inch arms against Owe's length, but Owe's super athletic, and that's not Little's game. Jackson does have that shared athletic ability, so that could be a cool style fight there as well. And then inside, Michael Pierce is a problem, man. Another one of these style make fights type of matchups because we saw... Connor Williams just won with athletic ability getting out in space time and time again on Sunday, but he also anchored really dang well. I think, you know, 
that work against Raekwon Davis this summer had to have been invaluable for him. But Pierce is something of an enigma. Six foot, 355 pounds. He controls the run game as well as any nose in football. So if they can roll him out of there, that's impressive. Or maybe just kind of try to seal him. I don't know. It's, it's a tough ask uh, in the middle of that offensive line. And I was curious to look at this since we have some data points. This big Ravens front against the similar wide zone stretch speed run games of the Rams, Browns, 49ers, Jets, Packers, all those Shanahan, McVay uh, type of tree coaches. Jets had 83 yards on 17 rushes Sunday. So your most recent example against this actual Ravens team, that's 4.88 yards per carry. Rams last year had 73 on 20 carries. That's only 3.65. The Browns had 40 on 17. That's 2.35. And the Packers had 96 yards on 25 carries last year as well. That's 3.84 yards. Remember how I said sometimes hypotheses don't work out? Well, (laughs) There you go. I thought that was going to be a big point there, and it didn't quite happen here. But now we know. And to be fair, the Ravens were so banged up in the secondary last year that opposing offenses went more through the air. Like the Rams threw for 300, Browns for 222, and Packers 250. The Browns did run last year for 138 and 133 in those games against the Baltimore Ravens. So I think that the power and physicality is going to be a big challenge up front for Miami. You might be able to get the best of them if you have some success early in the running game and keep getting wide on that bigger front. Could be a big game for Mostert and Edmund Speed. They did lose Travis Jones to an injury in camp. He was out week one. We'll see about this week. But either way, they got after the Jets up front, pumped for the opportunity here of Eichenberg, Williams, and Hunt, and to get their real first look at a dominant, dominant uh, interior defensive line. Running backs and linebackers, we end here with guys that carry the football and based on last week and their pedigree, help provide that last line of defense and pass protection. And Chase was awesome in that department last week. He'll need to be here as well. Patrick Queen made some plays for them last week. He's fast as hell, but he loves, loves to fly downhill and thump. So a good play action game could be important here. Joe Flacco threw nine times on play action, completed eight of them for 97 yards. Good solid run fakes and believable run concepts, which we know that both LaFleur and McDaniel came from that same school of doing that, can create some open windows, especially against that too high defense with outside leverage, that funnel style of defense. I mentioned the pass rushers. I like the idea of running wide at Justin Houston, trying to keep him from just going upfield all game and also staying away from Michael Pierce and Calais Campbell. Stretch them out, get them big boys rolling a little bit early, hopefully wear them down. This defense played 84 snaps last week, so it could be a test of their conditioning for a second straight week. And then also I wanted to just mention the use of receivers and end arounds like we saw last week to give Patrick Queen and those linebackers even more eye candy uh, and also the backs in the passing game. That's going to be very important for the Dolphins this one, I think. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break. That's your offensive look as far as the Dolphins against the Ravens defense. We'll do the other side on the other side of the podcast. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We are previewing Dolphins and Ravens week two. A pair of 1-0 teams meet for the second straight year, and this time it's in Baltimore for a game that's going to produce a 2-0 team that's feeling really good about themselves heading into week three. How can the Dolphins make sure that's them? Well, let's go ahead and look at this Baltimore offense and find out the quarterback and safety matchup. I mentioned the dip in production last year and the injury for Lamar Jackson, but I want to make it abundantly clear that I do not care about that because even as the Ravens offense took a moment to get going last week, Turn on that tape and you'll see number eight making explosive plays. There was a scramble play to start the third quarter where he leapt over one tackle, outran another, and got to the sticks. It was absurd. That was right after he had a dime for about 25 yards or so to Devin Duvernay in the first half for a touchdown that I mentioned earlier. And then he later got Rashad Bateman alone downfield for a touchdown. So even if you play efficiently against him and this offense, and that's what we talk about so much, like don't focus on the 25-yard and the 17-yard run focus on the other 18 runs the team had for three or less yards. But against this team, they can hit that few explosives that just give you enough points to win games. There's going to be a lot made of the matchup last season this week. Javon Holland and Brandon Jones set the record in the next-gen stats era for blitzes by safeties. Will that happen again? Your guess is as good as mine, but I do know this. Lamar was on point when the Jets couldn't get pressure, and he was allowed to survey back there. That's when the Ravens' offense really got going because the Jets played really well in the first half, second half, not so much. But the best way to slow this quarterback down is to get immediate pressure but also have a secondary rush to cut off escape valves. It's a lot. I I know that it is. And that's why this guy won an MVP because he's very damn good at this game. Also in that tape, the Jets in the first half forced Lamar to hit some tight windows. There was a couple of uh, quick throws, one RPO, a slant to Isaiah Likely that was way off, then a speed out that was also way off. He's not really your traditional rhythm passer, especially if you force him to throw outside. You can get some quarterback misses in those areas that keep them off schedule. And what does that do? Puts us in those third long situations, and you love the Dolphins in third long against anybody because of how they they get after the quarterback so creatively and play that takeaway style defense. But, you know, quarterbacks across the league have flaws, and, you know, a guy like Lamar Jackson, he's so good at doing everything else so well to cover up those few things. If you can force him into those things, that's great, but that's kind of the challenge you have to do as a play caller and defensive uh, designer, scheme designer, I should say. The Jets also dared Lamar to go deep a few times, and it paid off at first. It looked like the Ravens receivers and Lamar were just a tad bit off early on, and that's how you wind up with five incompletions on passes over 20 air yards. But you know what happened? He did complete three of them, three for eight, and they all went for touchdowns. So that takes us to this point, right? Don't celebrate your high efficiency too early because it only takes a couple for them to get in the 20s and 30s on the scoreboard. And against that defense, that is tough to overcome. We saw Javon and Brandon rotate pre and post, rush, fall off, all that disguise. That's all Josh Boyer's ability to dial up a complex complex game plan and those guys' ability to execute it. It's a big matchup to watch this week. I'm so pumped to see what game two looks like for those guys. Javon, the pick. Brandon Jones, a massive game one. Such a productive young safety tandem already here in years two and three, respectively. To round it out, 
Lamar was 2 of 7 under pressure in the opener for 34 yards and a touchdown compared to 15 for 23 for 179 and two touchdowns and a pick when he was kept clean. The Jets only blitzed him five times and he was 2 of 4 with 28 yards and that scramble I mentioned, both sacks were on four-man rushes. So I'm kind of glad they didn't blitz Lamar a lot so he didn't have that 2022 version of tape to kind of, you know, get that muscle memory. If we light him up for the pressures this week, it'll be the first time he sees it this season. How about his weapons? Receivers and tight ends versus corners. This is the one time this year we'll start with the tight ends over receivers. Mark Andrews is a pro bowler, and Isaiah likely is likely to be a productive player in this league. Ayo. Uh, Mark Andrews, five for 52 in the game and likely didn't catch any of his four targets. It's not likely that'll happen again. I'm, I'm going to keep going with that bit. I'll be here all week. Tip your servers and, and your bartenders. But he went off in the preseason, and you watch those targets, and it looked like they were just a little bit off on the timing of it. He was open, but they couldn't get uh, completed on a couple of occasions where he was open. Those guys are so crucial because this offense will run so many two tight and two back sets. For instance, on Sunday, 12 personnel, 14 reps. That's one back, two tight ends, two receivers. 21 personnel, that's two backs, one tight end, two receivers. 19 snaps. And then how about 22 personnel? Two backs, two tight ends. Only one wide receiver, 12 snaps out of that formation. Maybe it's easier to put it this way. They ran five plays that weren't from those sets and also 13 personnel, three tight ends. They ran that three times. So again, another fascinating matchup here because of Miami's dime usage in the past. They only ran dime four times against the Patriots and the Patriots run a lot of heavier personnel too. So that's some personnel matching there. So for the Ravens, can they pass from those run looks if they don't have more success on the ground than they did in week one, then that would give Miami a chance to get back into their bag, be aggressive, and send some pressure. Coach also mentioned on Wednesday that Eric Rowe was chomping at the bit to play last Sunday. We'll see about him this week. Brandon Jones did great stuff in coverage against Jonu Smith, no less. Javon's always a force back there, and the linebackers did some damn good work too. That Duke-Riley-Tampa 2 cat blitz rotation play where he got the pass breakup, that was beautiful running down the pipe by him. He bypasses the three who hooks up and then keeps going 20-plus yards downfield to the two and matching him stride for stride. It's another example of how multiple this defense can be and how important speed is. We'll come back to that in just a second. As for the Ravens' wide receiver, usage. Rashad Bateman led receivers with 37 snaps. They played 56 total as a team. Duvernay played 29 and Demarcus Robinson 25. That's a ton of speed among that group and they want to get vertical like we mentioned. I mean eight deep pass attempts from a receivers group that played the least snaps in the league on Sunday. It just tells you their thought process with that position group and where they believe they can make the biggest impact. The average separation numbers, only three guys qualified. Bateman averaged four yards of separation. He was 11th this weekend in the National Football League, but I will say he was like all alone on a touchdown catch deep down the field. That probably had a big part of that. Mark Andrews, 2.8 yards. Average reception was 34th in the NFL. And Devin Duvernay was 2.4 yards at 58. So again, this is kind of why I talked about like, if Byron Jones is down for a couple of games, these are the two opponents where they don't run as many three, four receiver sets to where you can actually maybe survive it a little bit, I guess. Obviously that changes against Buffalo and Cincinnati, but these two games, these, these teams, you know, as far as the receiver usage, it's the best time to have a bad situation, I guess I should say. So if they try to get it in the short intermediate, I like it. I, I think a lot of it comes down to what we saw last year. Can they hit the deep ball? 
They nearly got one to Sammy Watkins on that first series, but never did it again. And a lot of those deep shots in the Jets game were not close. So if we can get consistent incompletions, handle the run game, I think it'll be a repeat of last year. If not, it won't be. So there you go. Offensive line, defensive line. Few teams had the stability of the Ravens on that line up front for the longest time. And recently they've had to overcome, and they successfully have done so, some attrition at the position. That rhymes. Ronnie Stanley didn't play last week. We'll see if he's available this week. His replacement, Jawan James, went down again. I feel terrible for James. He's played two games since he left Miami. Uh, The numbers for their offensive line on Sunday, uh, that third string left tackle, Patrick McCarry allowed two pressures and one half of football. Ben Powers, left guard, two pressures. Tyler Linderbaum, the rookie center out of Iowa, allowed two pressures in his debut. And then the right side, Kevin Zeitler and Morgan Moses, one pressure allowed a piece. Still solid. Linderbaum made his NFL debut, and man, he had a tall order with the Jets' big, deep defensive line. The Jets came out with their hair on fire. Quinnen Williams, John Franklin Myers, and then Quinnen's bro in the second level, the linebacker Quincy Williams flying downhill behind them. They committed a ton of bodies to the run, and it worked for them. I'm curious to see how the Ravens adjust because you know they will. Miami's defensive line is deeper and even better, in my opinion, than the gang green group that's really good. And I can't wait to see how Boyer deploys them this week. That right side of Zeitler and Moses is rock solid. But one thing I like about this run game as far as defending it is you can kind of follow the guards to the football. There are plenty of two pulling guards or guard and tackle, like trap type of runs. And if you can control the point at those positions where the ball's coming to you the way Christian and Zach can, you should be able to control things and potentially wreck the game, especially on that left side with the guys, the weapons the Dolphins have over there with some inexperience and, you know, a new guy like Patrick McCarry if Ronnie Stanley can't go. Interesting matchup there. Really interesting to see what happens, who goes, and how it plays out because football, man, anything can happen. It took the entire Ravens offense a half to get going last week, which is to be expected for week one for most teams across the league. They were at 1.2 yards per carry and averaged negative half yards behind the line before contact, getting hit behind the line. Now they finished with 63 yards and 21 rushes. That's three yards per carry, which shows a nice second half improvement. And you absolutely have to include Lamar Jackson as a factor in that run game. They kind of have backed it down from him running a little bit in terms of designed runs because you just can't lose that guy. And I kind of hope it stays that way because if he does, that's how he can be so dangerous. But he had just six rushes for 17 yards in the opener. And like 10 of those were on that scramble I talked about. Kenyon Drake led the way with 31 yards on 11 rush attempts. Dobbins, his availability is a question mark. If he plays, he scares me, even if he's limited. Mike Davis also had two carries for 11 yards. And Justice Hill had two for four in the game. I mentioned this in the receiver's uh, tight end versus cornerback position. Miami's speed at linebacker is such an important element in this game. It showed up last year. They have to find a way to replicate that success because this stuff doesn't just carry over automatically. We saw Jerome Baker play off the edge for the first time in this game last year and 73 snaps. Duke Riley had 26 snaps. We also saw Van Ginkle for 67 and Jalen Phillips for 41. I mentioned those guys because they are the fastest guys in this linebacker group and we'll see about Van Ginkle's availability. But Speed on the field is the key anytime you face Lamar Jackson. And then special teams, the Ravens have the best kicker ever. Once they cross midfield, they're in range. That's always a big part of playing this team. So kind of figure out how you're going to defend that. Uh, Jason Sanders has great range and accuracy of his own, the most accurate kicker here in team history. So it's a good kicker matchup. We saw Thomas Morse with a big game on Sunday, four punts averaging 45.8 with three of those inside the 20-yard line. And that 58-yarder with almost no return was such an impressive punt. 
Jordan Stout for Baltimore kicked six times, averaging 48.5 per kick with three inside the 20 of his own. Devin Duvernay is their electrifying punt returner. He has Olympian speed. Do not let him get open in the open field. He had two for 17 yards last week. Football Outsiders has the Dolphins at ninth in special teams DVOA in week one and the Ravens at 13th. So there you go. That was one take, by the way. I love these preview pods. We'll finish up on the other side with what's at stake and the three keys. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We've been through the matchups. Let's do our last two bits on this game with what's at stake and akin to last week. Not much to put in this category. I'll repeat that this is more of a post-Halloween, maybe even Thanksgiving segment, but I do think there's at least a little bit we can say about every game. What's at stake is a chance to pick up a big road win against a team that figures to be in the mix in the AFC. It could potentially be a tiebreaker down the road. You never know especially a team that's probably going to be in the playoffs like Baltimore, a chance to get out of the gates 2-0 for the first time since the 2018 season, and a chance to keep the momentum rolling into week three when we turn home for another divisional game. And finally, since I think it's pretty clear how much I respect this team, getting a win against them will certainly garner a lot of respect among the media, although that means absolutely nothing. It's always fun to have a week full of praise for your favorite football team. How about the three keys? Let's get to this and we'll get out of here efficiency on play action passing. You have to find a way to keep those linebackers flowing forward and throwing the football right behind them. That obviously happens through a good running game as well. Number two, I cannot see the Ravens defensive line wreck this game and the Dolphins win the game. So find a way to control those guys, whether it's keeping maximum guys in the running game outside, keeping them off balance. You have to find a way to control Calais Campbell, Matabuki, Michael Pierce, Justin Houston, Odafe Owe. It's a tough, tough group up front. And the number three, always have eyes on number eight and this Ravens run game. That's where it all starts. It's the engine that drives the offense, like Alandon Roberts said. Thursday night football tonight might be the best game of the year on the TNF calendar. Chiefs over Chargers is my pick. We'll do the rest of the week two picks on tomorrow's show. We'll do... uh, some questions on the mailbag as well. Sorry, I forgot what I was talking about there. Submit your questions at Wingfield NFL. That post is up on my timeline right now. We'll talk some college ball and welcome in Ryan Wink from Ravens.com as our guest. That's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We have been in the top 200 on Chartable.com sports podcast since the start of our training camp, so please keep that going. I very much appreciate it. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Our Twitter Spaces show was last night at 8 o'clock on Twitter. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities. Our cinematic game recap is up. You do not want to miss that. Also, drive time and fish tank content as well as media availabilities. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.